ESPN College Football Podcast, hosted by Paul Feinbaum and Matt Barry. It has become a Sunday tradition unlike any other on the ESPN College Football Podcast. Unfortunately, Paul Feinbaum, Matt Barry, alongside one of the other traditions in college football, especially in a time where coaches need to produce right away, even if you just won a national championship in 2019, your career can come to an end as quick as it took off. ESPN confirming a report on Sunday that was led by Sports Illustrated's Ross Dellinger that a separation between LSU and Ed Orgeron reportedly finalized on Sunday. He's expected to complete the 2021 season with LSU before leaving. Paul, I don't know that this comes as a huge surprise that the Edo era is over. Timing of it, perhaps. Just your thoughts as we get started on the ESPN College Football Podcast. Well, Matt, if Florida had won the game yesterday, I don't think any of us would be surprised right now. But uh, we, we tend to think that this is all about wins and losses. And as we are going to learn more in the coming days, the firing of Ed, Ed Ogeron was really about more of the tra- trajectory, the program, and his in- inability to avoid off-the-field mistakes. And, and I think so many things happened down there that that Scott Woodward, the athletic director, decided why why put off what is obvious. Let's go ahead and make this announcement. It's a, you know they're coming off a big win. It doesn't seem as harsh, but when you think about the fact that it was under two years ago, Matt, that that it, oh, won the national championship. This is truly extraordinary. He presided over one of the greatest teams in college football history with Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase. Uh, Clyde Edwards, Elayer, all of that talent. Joe Brady, uh, the offensive mind. They were fifteen and zero, and at that point, I mean, they're nine and eight since. But at that point, Paul, you and I, we've been doing this together on Sports Center and in other forums for about eight years, and we were honest with each other when when the Ed Orgeron hire was made, when he was the interim under LSU under Les Miles and then was elevated to the to the full-time job. You and I kind of did a dog head tilt because we're thinking, well, he was a defensive line coach. He wasn't even a coordinator. This seems odd for a program that the stature of LSU. Remember they ran on Tom Herman. Remember they ran on Jimbo Fisher. And so we kind of looked at this as a as an odd hire. But after 2019, I mean, this is a local Louisiana guy. I thought, Paul, that this guy was going to walk on water until he decided he just wanted to go off and retire. I think that would have been the case. Uh, but unfortunately, he I think he lost his compass a little bit. Uh, he started uh, you know, when everyone bailed out uh, and understandably. So Joe Brady goes to the Panthers. Dave Aranda gets the head coaching job. He was the, coord- the defensive coordinator. He made some just inexplicable coaching decisions, Matt. And, and he, he was, and then he would, he admitted uh, that he didn't interview uh, Bo Pelini personally for the job. I realized we were in the middle of COVID, uh, but still, it, it was still startling to hear. He also made some terribly uh, poor choices last year before the season and in the midst of George Floyd where he came off insensitive to his life and essentially lost his locker room. He made some, uh, he, he was, uh, and I'm, I, I, you know, we're never going to bring politics into this thing. He was close to president Trump and, and that rubbed some people in his locker room the wrong way. He didn't really uh, explain his way out of it. He was tone deaf on uh, the, the, the whole social and racial uh, justice movement. And that cost him some players. Uh, and then the season was the season was really a disaster, except and you know, they finally turned it around at the end and beat Florida and Ole Miss. But and then there were some off the field issues. And these are things you didn't really hear a lot about. And everyone is entitled to, the, to, a, to their private life. But he, 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 ended, he got divorced from his wife after after 23 years. And it wasn't that that, that cost him problems. It was uh, it was it was posting pictures with women. And I know this sounds like we're piling on, but these are these. And then on top of that, and here's the final point. You had a number of title nine issues down there that everyone said would not be a big deal probably until he lost. And then suddenly they became a big deal. And you have, you have an athletic director finally in Scott Woodward who was at Texas A&M. 
He was uh, previously at Washington. He hired Scott. Uh, he hired uh, Chris Peterson. Chris, Scott Peterson, I, do, I did not mean to say Scott Peterson. Wow, that's a dollar. <laughs> I was, uh, sorry about that. I'll, I'll, put, the, I'll put a dollar fifty in the yard. <laughs> and, uh, and and then, uh, of course, he went to uh, Texas A&M uh, and hired uh, Jimbo Fisher. And and I think he came in there and, and was probably a little bit, in spite of winning the national championship, was still a little bit surprised to find out what was going on down there. Yeah, Woodward, he's a big game hunter. We'll get into the names here in just a minute, but uh, this report from Ross Dellinger a while ago who broke the story said this goes beyond on-field results, a strained relationship between coach and administration rooted in team management and public-slash-private behavior has warped into an untenable situation, distrust, and outbursts. And you had just talked about it there. When you get to a point, one of the most insecure things for a head coach at any sport, but most notably football, when you get a new athletic director and you are not the coach hired by the athletic director who then comes in and sees things through his prism, sees things the way he wants his, his athletic uh, teams run, and he basically inherits you Take that tenfold with Woodward, like I said, who's a, who's a big game hunter. This wasn't going to end well, save for another national championship out of L- out of Edo and, and LSU. And when you're off the field headlines and whispers start to surpass that of what's going on on the field, you're in for a world of hurt. And it's clear to everybody now who covers the sport, and especially you who's so embedded in the SEC. I talked with some of our colleagues about this at ESPN. The championship year, Paul, that was the outlier. Everything pre-championship and post-championship is what this program is under Ed Orgeron. Championship was a perfect storm of Joe Brady, Joe Burrow, and some of the best football we've ever seen. That was not going to be the norm at LSU. And that, along with the off the field stuff, is why they made this move now. And they're going to let him go coaching his guys in the final six games of the season. And then they'll move on. Yeah, that that is very interesting, too. The idea that he is going to coach the rest of the way. Uh, I can't think of many instances where this happens. I think it is. I think because of who he is, uh, and, and he is beloved. Uh, I mean, don't misunderstand all the things we've already said. Uh, you know, the people down there love him very much, and I, I think Scott Woodward, uh, you know, is trying to le- lessen the blow on this, saying we're done. I think it's very interesting, Matt, that the the early reports that are coming out are indicating all the problems. What that tells me is that uh, Scott Woodward managed this very well. He, he, you know, he didn't really care what happened in, in the football game uh, against Florida, that he was getting rid of Ed O today. And, you know, he may have decided to keep him longer because of that win. I have no earthly idea. But uh, the narrative has already been written, and it's the, it's the conversation we're having. Now, the one question I do have to bring up, if uh, if Coach O was undefeated right now, would this be going on? And and I've watched too much college football to believe that that anything trumps winning in in in, in this sport. Well, if the answer to that is no, if they were undefeated and they were getting ready to embark in the second half of their season and, and get ready for the stretch of their schedule that would define whether they go into the SEC championship or the college football playoff, the answer is no. He'd he'd be he'd be finding a way to dismiss all the off the field stuff, and they'd be winning football games. You know, one of the players that I keep thinking about in all of this, remember the absolute shine that was on Derek Stingley Jr. in his true freshman season and how this kid, they were going to just build the program around him. I don't know that we've seen him since. Like, he's played, but this guy was a – he's going to be a a first-round NFL draft pick. But he was one of those players that seemed to me – with the Jamar Chases and the the Jeffersons and all of this talent, Stingley being a freshman on that championship team, Paul, he was the one player that I ID'd that said that's the kid for Coach Ogeron that is going to keep him elevated to an Alabama 
point that could keep him year in and year out with Nick Saban at Alabama because that's the kind of talent you can get at LSU. That just never happened. And LSU is a program. Nick Saban won. Les Miles, two. And Ed Orgeron, three. They've won three national championships in the modern era the last 25 years with three different head coaches that have gone about it three completely different ways. One of them just happens to be one of the greatest of all time, if not the greatest of all time. The other two are punchlines. How is LSU at the point now where they need to get this hire right? This hire needs to be someone that can get them near the top of the SEC West every year. Because, Paul, it's that kind of job, it's that kind of talent, and it's that kind of program. No, you're, you're, you're right. And <laughs> the idea, uh, and you cannot say this at many places, that the, the last three coaches of, at LSU have all won national championships. I mean, can you, can you say that anywhere else? No. And that, that's the kind of place that it is. And so it's, I mean, this era for him, I would love to get him in a bar with a couple of, couple of cocktails. I really want to, I would love to get his thoughts on all of this in a way of, are you, are you satisfied? Are you hurt? Are you bitter? Or did you do what you set out to do, which was bring a national championship to your home state LSU Tigers? Matt, I, I heard something when I was up in Kentucky uh, a week or two ago when LSU was there talking to some LSU muckety-mucks. And, and they were foreseeing this. But they also said this, and this is why I think Ed Ogeron would answer in the bar to you over a couple of cocktails that, that he was okay with it. I think he, I, this, this is not going to be your classic firing where you throw the guy out with the trash. Uh, I think they understand that he still has a place in the hearts of many people down there. And they'll figure out a way uh, to, to separate what the media is going to say about this and, and portray him as the guy who won the championship, which is, which is not the case uh, for, for Les Miles. I mean, he was, they, were, they, were, they were happy to see him go. I don't think, I don't think the state of Louisiana is happy to see uh, Ed O go today. Uh, they're disappointed in, what, in, the, in the trajectory, but they, they may not come. They don't, I, they're not as concerned about the things that Scott Woodward and, and his bosses are concerned about. No, he's one of them, and they're very loyal people, and he did. I mean, he said it through all of his interviews when he got the job. I mean, this is a Louisiana kid. He talks with that Cajun accent. He's one of them. For him to go to his dream job and win a national championship, I would imagine at the age of 60, there's closure. And he did. He can look back on his coaching career. He seems to be a perennial interim at every place he goes. And by the way, he's once again interim, so I wouldn't be surprised if LSU won out. But he, he, that seems to be... He's, he's, he's checked something off his list. Like we all have goals in our career and our aspirations. One of him, one of his was to be the head coach at LSU and he won a national championship there. And so to your point, it seems as if it's going to be a peaceful transition of power, so to speak. But now you have to start turning your attention, Paul, to who the names are going to be. I've used the term big game hunter a couple of times talking about Woodward. And he's going to swing for the fences. If, if, if I had to guess, and again, this is just basically – this is pure speculation based on what we know of Woodward. Here's the names that I would expect to come up for big names. Lane Kiffin is going to come up. There's no doubt that he's going to make a run at Lane Kiffin. Jimbo Fisher, even at Texas A&M, he hired him at Texas A&M. Correct me if I'm wrong, Paul. I don't believe that Jimbo's got a buyout in his contract. Is that correct? I believe you are correct. Okay, so there's a. it's not going to cost you any money to get Jimbo. So you've got Jimbo in terms of a buyout. You're going to have to pay him handsomely. I would guess Lane Jimbo. I would guess this isn't a big name, but if you want to develop, Billy Napier is going to be a guy that comes up. So the names that are going to be attracted to this job, they're going head-to-head now with USC for the two preeminent jobs that are open as we speak. I agree. Uh, by the way, there's some other uh, – Bruce Feldman uh, from The Athletic Reporter the other day and I'm sure he'll be reporting it again today, that uh, there was some interest in Mel Tucker. And you say uh, Mel Tucker seems like he changes jobs every year. Well, you know, he was at Colorado for a year. Uh, you know, would he leave Michigan State? Uh, he was a finalist for the Tennessee job, by the way, when Jeremy Pruitt got it. Think about that. Uh, why, why Mel Tucker? Uh, he was an assistant under Nick Saban 
at LSU, and they really liked him. I'm just saying uh, that's a name that I think will will get some some run. Uh, you know, Cristobal to me doesn't seem like the kind of move, the, the right type of move. Uh, but but I, I think Jimbo Fisher will be the most interesting. I've had people tell me in College Station that there's no way he would leave, and I'm here to tell you there's always a way for someone to leave. And he's already, you know, he accomplished a week ago what he's, he, he was hired to do. That was to beat Nick Saban. Uh, yeah, I don't, I, I know, he, I know he just got remarried. He's got a ranch. He's got all these things that people think would dissuade you from ever leaving. But he is a perfect fit down there. He's been there before. He should have, he should have already been there again. Remember, they were, they were, they were about to fire Les Miles at the yep. end of the 15th season. And uh, Jimmy Sexton and, and Jimbo Fisher's people bought. They didn't feel like they were getting enough money. And Scott Woodward ended up getting stuck with less. And then when Jimbo's name came up again, he said, you know what, I'll, I'll, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be happy to. Uh, it, can't, it didn't even come down to Jimbo. He was already out of it. It came down to Tom Herman and, and Ed Ogeron. Think about that. And they're both uh, now out of, just about out of coaching. So what kind of job is this? Because here's how I see it. I see it as an absolute sleeping giant. And I get it. They just won a national championship in 2019. But LSU is a program with the talent around it and the resources that should be in the top five every single year. Every year. It's as good a job as there is in the country. I would put this job on a college football perspective only, not not surroundings and winnable conference. I would put this above the USC job. I would. I would too. Absolutely. Uh, Matt Saban won it in 03. Les Miles with it with Saban players won it in 07. Think about this. In 2011, LSU won the won the, won the SEC championship undefeated and then had to play Alabama again. Uh, they could have played for it again the next year, but they they lost to Alabama. Uh, they did play it for it and won in 2019. They have won the national championship with Les Miles and Nick Saban. And I'm here to tell you, excuse me, uh, Les Miles, Nick Saban, and, and, and Ed Ogeron. If you can win the national championship with Les Miles and Ed Ogeron, you can win it with anyone. Um, and there's, there's I, I mean, there's just not another school. Uh, I mean, only Florida has seen coaches win the national championship in within a reasonable proximity of each other. Sure. Uh, you know, Ohio State, of course, with Trestle at one point, but it took a while. Then Urban did it. But the idea that three straight coaches and, and it, it is, it is the only college game in that state. And, and you mentioned, I mean, there, there are other good programs, but everyone pulls for LSU. This isn't, this isn't Alabama where there's, there, there's always a uh, divided loyalties or, or other Southern states like Florida, uh, LSU and the saints. That's all people care about down there. And the recruit, I mean, Nick Saban has made a living off of Louisiana. And is this a good job? Yes, it's a great job because Nick Saban's clock is ticking, whether it's two years, three yep. years, four years or five years, it doesn't matter. He will not be around uh, for a long time. And whoever gets this job likely will be, uh, assuming he can uh, navigate the, the, the landmines and the water down there. Could you imagine if... Because say what you want about LSU and, and Ed Orgeron, neither of them ever, 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 even in the in on in the peak of their powers, were ever considered a top five coach in college football. No one had ever said that about them, right? Could you imagine Never. if LSU was able to get one of those coaches that was considered among the top five to seven in their profession, and how good LSU can be, and what a problem they would be for everyone else? That's why I say sleeping giant, because it is it it is there for the dominance year in and year out if you get this hire right. And one thing I will point out, and Scott Woodward told me this uh, one time when I when I saw him in College Station, that when he that he when he hired Jimbo Fisher, he made a call to him. I believe it was mid season, just a friendly call saying, "Listen." Uh, I'll probably be, uh, making, I, I may very well be making a, a change at the end of the season. And I think, you know, how I feel about you and, you know, I won't bother you. And, but 
but I, I would like to deal directly with you. I don't want to go through agents. I, I want to, and, and if you're interested, you think about it and you let me know. He's a direct guy is what I'm saying. They have that type of relationship. And I, and I, 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 I don't, a week ago, I would have argued against Jimbo Fisher today. I'm not so sure because of the timing of this. And back to the timing, we, we've given a lot of other reasons. And this is a story that, uh, that is breaking around us as we're, as we're doing this. So there may be a lot more information later on. However, uh, I, I think I think the win yet the, the win by Florida, uh, the win over Florida by LSU, told Scott Woodward, let's not roll the dice here. Let's not give Ed Ogeron a chance to you know maybe go to Oxford Saturday and win that game, and then have a bye week before Alabama, and who knows what could happen. So I think he just he he used he used the timing. It's a nicer departure today uh, on this Sunday as opposed to firing him after a loss. And secondly. I feel pretty comfortable and confident that somebody in that athletic department made sure that people knew the real reason why he was being fired. And that's why you're seeing the story of off the field behavior, the poor decisions and uh, the erosion of his uh, success down there. What's his legacy? Because we all know the Ole Miss tenure. You know the stories from when he got the head coaching job at Ole Miss, and it was it was wildly unsuccessful for a lot of stuff that happened off the field. He then wins the hearts of everyone at USC again. He was the interim. He wanted that job. He didn't get it. He was hurt and bitter about it when he didn't get it. Then he lands this job at LSU because, once again, he won as an interim. What What is his head coaching legacy? Because he's not going to get another head coaching job. He's 60 years old. The no, book on him no. is written. What's his legacy? I don't think it's going to be that great. Uh, and, you know, I'm talking about the, the national legacy is a guy, uh, you know, he's now done the biggest favor in the world for Gene Chizik. Now, you, some of you are going, like, Gene Chizik? Who's that? <laughs> Gene, Chizik <laughs> won the, Gene Chizik won a national championship at, at Auburn in 2010 with Cam Newton. And the day after the, uh, the Iron Bowl in 2012, he was fired. Uh, so, uh, Gene Chizik can rest easily now. Ed Ogeron will not be remembered that well. I know. I know the 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 obituaries today will be kind, Matt. But ultimately, I think the people that cover this game like we do are going to look at him as somewhat of an accidental winner. You said it earlier. The outlier. Uh, he was a he was a better coach when he was at LSU than he was at Ole Miss, but he was still a fatally flawed head football coach. And now, and I, we had touched on this, you know, throughout the first couple of months of the season that there, there have been, it's, it's died down quite a bit since it, the, the shock and awe of the Clay Hilton decision was over. Now it's going to happen again. You mentioned Mel Tucker. I think the first coach that people are going to go to is Jimbo Fisher. He's going to have to deal with the questions. I still believe Lane Kiffin's going to have to deal with the, with the questions. And so when a coach loses their job in the middle of the season, it then creates a distraction for these other coaches especially this week and at least for the next two or three. It will. Uh, it always does. And, and you know, the way most coaches deal with this, Matt, is they, they say, uh, I'm not interested. I'm happy where I am, blah, blah, blah. And, and that ends it for the day. I mean, you, you, can, you can't ask a coach more than once about another job because it, 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 there's just nothing else to say once a coach shoots it down. And I'm sure Jimbo Fisher is going to is going to shoot this down. It's not like uh, why why would he do anything other than say I love where I am. Uh, right. I have no interest. In, I have no interest or intention. And by the way, it doesn't matter because Nick Saban said uh, after turning the Alabama job down uh, two weeks earlier and two weeks before he ultimately took it when he was he said I am the Miami Dolphins coach. I will not be the Alabama coach. Uh, you know, you can mark it down. I mean, what else, what else would you say right. or what else would I say? I would say exactly that. And is it being hundred percent truthful? You're the only obligation these, these coaches have in their mind is to their players. That's why they will say anything to get out of a question. And so once again, the coaching carousel now has two Dominant, preeminent jobs in the sport open, LSU and USC. There is never a dull Sunday morning in the SEC. So Edo is out at LSU. And speaking of never a dull moment, that gets us to our friends at Tennessee. Ole Miss, Tennessee had the makings of, it was going to be a good football game because I think Tennessee's playing a lot better than, than people thought first year into Josh Heupel 
Tennessee and welcomes back Lane Kiffin for the first time in a decade after bolting for USC. And for, I don't know, Paul, do the math, 3.89 quarters, everything was civil until it wasn't. Yeah, it was a, it was it was really an official's call that 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 turned the Tennessee uh, fan base in, in, into a a mob scene, Matt, and everyone saw it, and uh, you know, people were throwing water bottles and beer cans and uh, mustard packages and and a golf ball. And what was interesting, the golf ball that hit Lane Kiffin, I mean. I, I'm not joking about this, but you know, you were you would kind of hope it was like a Pro V one. Yeah. Uh, according to Cole Kubrick, who was on the field, it was a it was like an orange Spalding range ball, which kind of sums up the the classlessness of of the Tennessee fan base. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'll spare the audience uh, whenever you're listening this Sunday afternoon or Monday morning on the way in of all the usual absolute disgrace, classless, unconscionable, but, but all, all of those are apt descriptions of what we saw. You, you know what it is with, with this situation is it was a really good football game and Ole Miss continues to be entertaining. Matt Corral continues to be must see TV. Although I'd have to put him at probably one a now after Caleb Williams, which will touch on him soon, but Tennessee has played so much better than I think anyone thought they would in year one of Josh Heupel and a hire that wasn't too popular locally. And everyone hit the transfer portal. No one was left, has to make a decision between Milton and Hendon Hooker, and then Milton finished the game the way he did. But it just, it sours everything that Tennessee was trying to avoid nationally, which is this reputation of just of being unsatisfied, an unsatisfied fan base, they should be thrilled with how their football team's playing. And instead, night of, morning after, everyone's talking about how dumb they looked. Yeah, it's it, it is really sad, Matt, because because Josh Heupel has really exceeded everyone's expectations. I think a lot of people yawned at the hire, and he took over a dumpster fire created by by Jeremy Pruitt, and he was fired. Uh, and, and by the way, it's not, it wasn't some media report. It was the chancellor of the university saying pretty much accusing him of major NCAA violations. And, you know, players bailed everywhere. And, and this was a, a tremendous turnaround. And, you know, the Lane Kiffin thing was 2010. Uh, but, you know, Tennessee fans have been unable to get over that. And, and it was I mean, if Lane Kiffin had come up with a if he'd been sitting there with Steven Spielberg and David Geffen in Hollywood say, let's come up with the best thing that can happen to me. Let's win the game at the end and have people throw things at me and nearly kill me coming off the field. And I say kill because had a golf ball hit somebody in the head from a high distance, that that's, that could be fatal. So, uh, and Kiffin comes off as a sympathetic figure. I know. Uh, and, and that's, you know, you just can't make it up. And and this Tennessee program, which is so easy to castigate and, and criticize, just set themselves up. I mean, I'm flipping the dial this morning. Uh, other than the fact that it leads Sports Center at 7 a.m., I'm flipping over to the Today Show, Matt, on Sunday morning, and there it is. And of course, the guy hosting it's a Vanderbilt graduate, but don't let that <laughs> get. <it. laughs> but but th- there you there it is because on a day short of compelling i mean you're coming off week six when we had one of the best weekends of college football we've ever had but on a, on a week short of intrigue and drama you could say iowa but i don't think anyone really was buying well, them as the second best team in the country but on a week short of drama paul that's the one that catches the national attention and i don't know if people understand and by people i mean fan bases and I don't want to throw this all on Tennessee fans. I, I would bet 96% of them acted like adults in this situation. Most of it, from what I've read, it's come from the student section. But there's student sections all over the country. And when you all of when you become the story, when the fans become the story, and by the way, the fans have become the story a lot at Tennessee, it's just a bad look for the school and a bad look for the sport when you're throwing things at a coach who left you a decade ago because you don't like a call on fourth and 24 and you come up a half inch short. 
And this is, and what happens is, and, and we live in a narrative world where you go, okay, let's start with Lane Kiffin 10 years ago, 11 years ago. And then we had, uh, you know, the search for Butch Jones's replacement, which Greg Schiano had agreed in principle to the job. And then the Tennessee fan base hit social media with a lot of unsubstantiated allegations connecting him to Penn State and Sandusky. And they, and they withdraw the offer, and then they hired an absolute disaster uh, as the head coach and moved Philip Fulmer up as the AD. Both failed. And, and, and that it's the one – it's a program that now finally has a, you know, a clean-cut guy as the coach, great offense, exciting football. And, 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 and we're on a national podcast on ESPN, and this is our lead story, and, and – it will, you know, when Monday comes, uh, every talk show in America will be will be on it, and the video will continue to run, and and Tennessee fans will continue to get mad and, and attack the messenger, and they'll make their situation worse. The, the, the great Forrest Gump would say, "That's all we're going to say about that," because I think everybody, I think everybody understands how how embarrassing of a look it is for Josh Heupel, who I think is doing a remarkable job. I was sitting with Joey and Jesse on Saturday when they kept going back and forth, I, I looked at them. I said, Hey, this might be an unpopular opinion and feel free to come at me as, as hard as you want. But Josh Heupel consideration sec coach of the year for how he's done this. And they kind of looked at me side. eye. but no, absolutely right. I, I, I think it's, it's there. I think the argument can be made. And instead of talking about what great fight Tennessee has with Hendon hooker and Josh Heupel, we're talking about a driving range golf ball and a bottle of mustard, but so as uh, such as life. Yeah. You know, and I said this very, uh, something similar to that on SEC nation and Tebow uh, agreed with me. And, and, th and that's really where we would be today, but we're not, let's move on because there are a lot of other stories. You know what I love about Saban? He's that guy that knows that he is putting his program and players in a position to win. If they don't listen to what he's saying, He's that parent that goes up in front of everybody and says, I told you so. I told yeah. you if you're going to do this, I told you if you're going to do that, you're going to get God. And that was his message all week. All week, he was like, hey, hey, you know, I said if these guys do this, this, and this, 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 and this is going to happen. And it did. Will Anderson comes out, who had a hell of a game, um, comes out and says, football needs to be first. I thought him going there is the first time nationally that you heard a player say without saying NIL and off the field stuff is getting in the way of what I'm trying to do within these walls. I thought that was a very telling quote from a player in the locker room. It was. Uh, and I don't think people inside that program missed it. And it looked like there was a reaction to it. And, and now, you know, what is, what is, uh, you know, yeah, Alabama now does, is, doesn't have a lot of challenges in over the next few weeks. Tennessee comes in; they're they're a better team, but that's not going to be an issue. And, and then LSU, and you know, maybe going to Auburn. You know, uh, Matt, I I continue to be amazed every time I look at an Auburn score <laughs> <laughs> because I mean they they go into Fayetteville yesterday. And I know this is not like a game that the nation was glued to. But they beat the guy that three weeks ago was the hottest coach in the country, uh, Sam Pip. That I mean, yeah, that that story has faded quick. Arkansas four and three, one and three <laughs> in the SEC. Nice knowing you. But, but but all of a sudden, like Brian Harson, he just sits there and takes punches. He just oh. sits there and he's like, "Oh, so this is what we do in the SEC? We go to a wideout in Penn State. We kind of choke that game away, but then we come back. We go on the road." We get a win at 17th-ranked Arkansas. Bo Nix plays really, really well. So we've only lost to Penn State and Georgia, by the way, two top 10 teams. And they really are something else because Tank Bigsby is one of the better running backs in the country. And when good Bo shows up, I know it's a thing, good Bo and bad yeah. Bo, they're really – I mean, they're fun to watch. That's a fun team. They're 5-2 and two now. They have, uh, you know, you have to be an SEC wonk to understand this, but they have, they have road wins in Baton Rouge and Fayetteville for a, a program that if you had told me eight and four before the season, I, I would have had you committed. Now they have the bye week. I mean, you could probably still have me committed. Um, they have the bye week. Then they have Ole Miss Halloween weekend. And then we're really going to know who they are. Ole Miss at Texas A&M, who 
swatted away any talk of the letdown in Columbia, 11 a.m. kickoff. All of a sudden, Zach Calzada's Johnny Manziel. Um, look, I, 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 I get accused from, from folks on, on, on our Sunday morning edition of the podcast that we go really heavy SEC, and we do to start off with because you were on an SEC campus for SEC Nation. It's fun to start. Uh, but but wrapping up the, the the coverage of the SEC before we move on, A and M I thought made a statement because people yeah. thought it was a it was a it was a test case for a letdown. They did not. Auburn made the statement as you said. Alabama bounces back. Ole Miss gets the win, and Georgia. I look. I'm come on. They're they're just better. And I'm coming to this side, Paul. And I never thought it would do this. I think Stetson Bennett could win a national championship as the quarterback of Georgia. Yeah, no, even though most of our panel yesterday, two quarterbacks, I think Tebow and Jordan Rogers uh, disagreed with you. I, I was on their side yesterday today. I'm not, I, I mean, that was just pedestrian. I mean, they were up by what, 24 points and, you know, gave up a late score backdoor cover and everyone's a oh, big deal. Great. Okay. Uh, they just beat the number 11 team in the country at home. They dominated them and, you know, it, it, we're now looking at Georgia like we used to look at that team in Tuscaloosa. How did they give up that late touchdown to, to only make it a 17-point win? Yeah. Yeah, and that's what it was. And Mark Stoops coached for the backdoor cover. Either you were on the right side of that in Vegas or the wrong side of that in Vegas. But Kirby Smart, the man who's got five stars, walk out his program annually with Justin Fields, Jacob Eason. He has one transfer in from USC. Uh, the fact that Stetson Bennett could be his guy would be a remarkable story based on some of the talent he's had there at quarterback. So we say goodbye to the SEC. We say hello to another quarterback comp, uh, conversation. And Oklahoma, I said it on college football final. I said it throughout the day. They look different now. They look scary. And Caleb Williams is one of those players well, I was excited every time TCU scored because Caleb Williams came back on the field. This kid has Oklahoma in a position to be feared. Yeah, I, I know. I know it probably won't happen, but I'll just pose this question anyway, Matt. Has has any team? I guess has any team ever had a quarterback who was the preseason favorite to win the Heisman? Only to see another quarterback on the roster win the Heisman, <laughs> because I mean he is. It's uh, not. I mean, a, I'm not, it's. I'm. It's you're not, serious. Yeah. I'm. Yeah. I am serious. It could, I mean, he is now. I mean, he's changing the the dynamics of that program. Where suddenly you don't say, "Well, I can't believe the who, who had why Why do you have uh, Oklahoma in your top four? Well, you you better have them in your top four right now. Have you ever seen a player? With that kind of ability, here's what makes him so remarkable. And I believe I have his biography correct. If I'm not mistaken, he sat out last year in high school because of COVID. Yes, he so he doesn't play last year. He's the highest rated recruit in the country. Goes and shows up at Norman, year off from football. Hangs out, has the projected number one overall pick or number first quarterback taken, certainly. Heisman Trophy favorite. Dude paints his nails just kind of does his own thing, runs into this game for Oklahoma and all of has them the morning after thinking, wow, could this kid get into the Heisman Trophy race? Is he going to send Spencer Rattler to the transfer portal? And is Oklahoma now the team we thought they were? It's really an incredible story as my autoplay on ESPN.com continues to kill me. My apologies to the people. You can't, I would put them, Paul, I, I, I was feeling sour about Oklahoma since this kid's been there. I'd put them at number two in the country. Yeah. And as for, you know, people that ask about the Heisman race, there really isn't a Heisman race right now. I mean, there are good candidates, Matt Corral, who is going to need his team to keep winning. Uh, you know, Bryce Young doesn't really feel like, uh, he feels like a, maybe a finalist, but he doesn't feel like uh, somebody who's going to win. Uh, so yeah, you know, you can play, you can play the defensive game at Georgia. Uh, you can go, you can go a lot of places if you want. Uh, but you probably can't go to, uh, Robinson anymore in Texas. Now that that program has, uh, <laughs> even though it's not his fault, uh, you just can't go there. And so I, I think it's legitimate to, to talk about that. And, and, you know, he's got big games ahead. He's got some really big games ahead with, uh, Bedlam 
and and, and a few and a few others. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I think it's it's a fair conversation. I'll pose this to you because I posted to Jesse and Joey on Saturday. There's a couple of teams out there that are undefeated that I'm not sure if they walked into a DMV, people would be able to ID <laughs> them because we just we just don't know who they are. Program one, Oklahoma State. They go and come back from a double-digit deficit to beat Texas. Texas blows a double-digit lead in consecutive games for the first time in 25 years. Mike Gundy plays defense. Spencer Sanders struggles but gets it done when they need him to. Oklahoma State 6-0. and but I don't know who they are. I don't either. Uh, and and on Sports Center Sunday morning, we saw more of Mike Gundy doing the dance than we did of his coaching. So give him credit. He he always manages to somehow be in the spotlight. But yeah, they're they're in a, they're, a, they're. I'm taking them more seriously today, though, Matt. Until until I wasn't even I didn't even realize they were undefeated until yesterday. I mean, I say that somewhat tongue in cheek because I kept seeing the roster, but I, I hadn't really seen anything they had done. I'm, I'm not quite putting them in the Wake Forest camp among the undefeated, but I, well, which camp I, is that? I, I don't know which camp you speak of with Wake Forest. Where are we putting I mean, them? It's just an undefeated team that that I'm I'm not I'm just really not too concerned about learning more about because it, <laughs> it was <laughs> about that. Yeah, all, look, all undefeateds aren't created equal. Dave Clawson, great story. Wake Forest bye week this week, but yeah, it, it is a different undefeated and. How many years? I mean, Gundy's been there, I think, since 2005 at Oklahoma State. How many years with Gundy has it been offense, 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 offense? Now they don't really have that great of an offense, but their defense is among the best in the Big 12. Yeah, they are And they, they have enough what it takes to, to kind of just hang out long enough until Bedlam. Could you imagine going into Bedlam, both Oklahoma and Oklahoma State 11-0? and which would set up then potentially a rematch in the Big 12 championship. I'm just stunned that Oklahoma State just kind of hangs out, kind of hanging out, and they just went in football games. Well, we, we wasted a lot of time, and I, I truly mean wasted a lot of time early in the year talking about Iowa State. I mean, I'm talking about before the season. We, we, yeah. we, we got taken down that road, so we tended to look past uh, a couple of teams, and and, and they, were, they were certainly in that group. But, yeah, now there's – the, the, give the Big 12 credit. Uh, they keep getting disrespected everywhere else in college sports, but they are having a, a very intriguing year. I mean, for pure entertainment, it's hard to find much better, especially if Texas is involved. It, Texas is always going to give you the entertainment, whether their fans like it or not, good or bad. Uh, week eight, I think. I'm just going to hop into the Big 12 week eight for a second just to wrap them up. Uh, Oklahoma, Kansas. Caleb will certainly be able to boost his Heisman resume. Uh, Kansas State, Texas Tech, pass. Uh, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, there's one for you because you just mentioned how in love everyone was with Iowa State. Matt Campbell and that team finds a way towards the end of the year to get back into the conversation. So if Oklahoma State is who they appear to be, you go to Austin and get a win, you go to Ames and get a win, and now you really have to start taking Oklahoma State seriously because they're going to be in the top 10 when the rankings come out later on Saturday or Sunday, and the other version of this team that I want you to identify at the DMV, because I don't know who they are, Michigan State and Mel Tucker. Oh, like, uh, what, are, what are they? We don't know what they are, but we know what we, we will know soon. <laughs> that's uh, that, that's exactly uh, what's ahead, because they have Michigan next, after, I think after a bye week. Yep. And, uh, yeah, and I, I saw Michigan scheduled today. They have Michigan State, of course. Penn they State, have Northwestern. Yeah, yeah, they've got Northwestern yeah. coming this week. And but the Big Ten East, we can get as excited as we want. And I think Mel Tucker, national coach of the year. I mean, there's there's Great a handful job. of guys that I could that could put out there for for national coach of the year. We've touched on a couple of them, Dame Clawson, I think, being one of them. But they're undefeated. They're at six and zero, seven and zero for the first time uh, since 2017 when they went on to the college football playoff. But Michigan State is another one of those teams, they're 7-0, that you don't want to take seriously right now because of what's in front of them, but you also want to just kind of pay a little bit of attention to them because Peyton Thorne, Kenneth Walker, Jalen Naylor, they have the guys to mess with Jim Harbaugh. 
I say I don't say Ohio State because I think Ohio State's starting to to get to that Ohio State level. But Harbaugh has been a great story this year. They're going to get by Northwestern. Their season, both of these guys could come down to Halloween weekend. Yeah, no, and I'm really, and you know, give, give Harbaugh credit. Uh, you know, he, he's 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 winning games now that uh, he used to lose. Uh, but I, I I think this this game will help define them. And you know, it, it's it's very it's a very backloaded schedule. Uh, and you know, once again, did, did I see uh, Scott Frost lose another game uh, late? I mean, it's anyway, seventeen one possession losses since he's been at Nebraska. Never seen that before. Is that coaching? I mean, at some point, uh, you have to you have to start there. Uh, I, I mean, if that happened a couple of times, and but ultimately something is wrong. And you just can't make a living off of we almost won. I feel I feel bad. I don't feel bad for coaches. I feel bad for him. I, I was was calling. I called the uh, Navy Memphis game on Thursday, and you know we do our uh, coaches calls throughout the week. I felt bad for Kenny Amatololo yeah. because this is a program that was having ten win seasons. He had Navy going. And then they're just, they're hurt, they're broken, and you can see it on the coach's face. And I say that because I see it on Scott Frost's face, that you know he wants to win so badly for his alma mater. And every week they are so close, and every week they are in games, and they just can't finish. And when they do the cutaways of him on the sideline, I mean, it's heartbreaking watching it. It's so interesting to go back four years. Uh, the three hottest, uh, the, the three big openings. You had, you had Chip Kelly commandeering all the attention. Tennessee, Florida. He also obviously went to UCLA. Then there was Scott Frost. Same jobs. He he ended up going to Nebraska, and Dan Mullen leaves. You know, was in the Tennessee hunt, left them to go to Florida. And how are all three coaches doing? Chip Kelly at least uh, has had a moment or two this year. UCLA gets the win over Washington 24-17. They're five and two on the year. Whose program's healthier right now between Mullen, Chip, and Scott Frost? I probably like the trajectory of the Bruins uh, over the other two because, uh, I mean, Chip Kelly has gotten, uh, I mean, I think he's gotten over the hump. Uh, you know, that, that in, you know, he's like, he's, you know, he hasn't been perfect, but I would take him right now. I just hope. My hope is that athletic directors across the country, my hope is that they just let it cook. My hope is that they let Chip cook. I know they they beat LSU. They were the trendy pick. I was all over them in the, in the preseason. And look, things could still happen down the stretch in the Pac-12, especially if the Arizona State allowed 28 unanswered points last night after being up 27 at the half and in control of that game against Utah. That's my soapbox. But things could still happen mm. to the Pac-12 South. Um, but I want them to let chip cook, especially with the drama going on at USC. I still believe Scott Frost is the guy at Nebraska. I do believe that. I agree. You know, who, I, if not I, him, I who, where are you going to go? Are you going to get Bill Callahan again? Like, what are you going to do with no, that? Job? And you know, I, I, I'm, I, I tend to pull the ripcord on coaches pretty quickly. And, and no. maybe I did early on, but, but <laughs> I, 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 I would agree with you on that because it's one thing just to be a, doing a bad job. He's not doing a bad job. Uh, and, and sometimes you just get over the hump and, and, and you never come down again. And, I, and he's, it's probably worth seeing if that's going to be the case I, at Nebraska. They, people just, they, we get, we live in this Twitter 140 character TikTok, whatever the hell that is. And in Instagram <laughs> world where everybody just wants it right here, right now, like every morning and granted ASU, their two losses are in the state of Utah, and their two losses were completely undisciplined. Every morning that happens, which has been twice this year, I wake up to Herm Edwards has to go tweets. Just a barrage of them in my DMs. Like, Herm, I know he's your buddy, but the program's going down. Okay, it's not. Now, there's the NCAA investigation, but in terms of product on the field, is it great right now when they get done disciplined? No, but is it talented? Could they beat anybody in the Pac-12? Absolutely. And well, people- here's a, but, but here's the key to that, Matt. Uh, when you fire a coach, 
you had better know who your replacement is. And too often uh, we don't see we don't we don't ever see that. I mean, I've seen some of the worst coaching searches. Uh, you know, Tennessee, just for example. I mean, how many times do you want to go down that road? Uh, so you better have an athletic director that knows what he's doing if you're going to unload a coach for an overreactive fan base. You're more dialed in from the administrative aspect of this than I am. So I want to ask you this because we just we just mentioned a couple of year four coaches. We just talked about Ed Orgeron being on the hot seat. And I believe, and this is someone who doesn't talk much to administrators, I believe in the USC debacle with Clay Helton. I'll, I'll die on that hill the rest of the year. After, after week two is an absolute joke or whenever it was, week two, week three, it seems like a year ago now. But I believe administrators make these decisions without having a clue of who they want other than a wish list in their office, the flashiest name out there. And when they don't get it, it sets the program back another four or five years because they ID a person or two people. And when it doesn't happen, they're like, oh, hell, we better go get the search committee for us. I have no, I have no doubt. Uh, Matt, I know a lot of these ADs and they spend an awful lot of time on Twitter reading. Uh, and I'll give you an example. Uh, I think it was 2015. Mark Rick was doing well at the University of Georgia. Uh, he wasn't. I mean, he was he was not winning the title, but but he, was he had won a three. couple. Of, yeah, he was his, his final year there. Uh, his team won ten games. He got so he gets fired. Why did he get fired? He got fired because Kirby Smart, who played at Georgia, was on the verge of taking the South Carolina job to replace Steve Spurrier. Yep. And when they got and when they got word of that, they said, you know what, we have to have him and to have and to get him, you have to fire your coach. Now, I don't have a problem with that if they're and, and it worked out well, I, but I do have a problem with just firing the coach because, you know, the Twitter, the Twitter verse is saying or Paul Feinbaum is saying you have to. Here's one for you. I mean, you wield that kind of power. Think about the power you wield with a microphone. Um, here's another one for you. Miami. Manny Diaz took the temple job. He took right. the temple job. He was there for what? A week. Yeah. And then Miami spooked. Ironically enough, this is, is connected to Mark Rick. Miami spooked because their defensive coordinator who, when Mark Rick was the head coach, had that turnover chain that Paul put on with me on sports Center <laughs> in the morning because the U was back. And they spook because Manny goes to Temple. Say, whoa, wait, 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 wait. That's our, that. Wait, that's our guy. Should we get we bring him back? Bring Manny home. And so Manny gets the job at Miami because administration spook instead of sitting back and saying, let's do this right. Let's find the right guy for our culture instead of being so knee jerk. Well, the great athletic directors, Matt should always have two or three names. They should, they should be in constant conversation with Jimmy Sexton, with search firms. But for whatever reason, uh, a lot of times they, they are literally caught off guard. And then what they do, uh, there, was a, there was a job opening last season, and there were some really interesting candidates for it. And the next thing you know, Twitter – and former players are st are starting to demand that one person get the job, and he did. Um, and so for, uh, it's it's too early to tell whether that person has been successful or not, Matt. But that's usually what happens, and that's the wrong way to do it. I mean, I'm sitting on the edge of my couch. Who was that one person? Shane Beamer at South Carolina. Bingo. Because. I'm very connected to the Columbia market. As you know, I, I, I spent some time in my local TV career there with Steve Spurrier. I have never seen, and I, I have, I've never sat in a room with Shane Beamer ever. I have never seen someone so beloved without head coaching experience and juries out. I will say there is something pure about the hope that South Carolina ha fans have for Shane Beamer. I love it. I think it's, I, I love that he has convinced a fan base who once tolerated Lou Holtz going 0 and 11 or 0 and 12 and still sold out the stadium, that he's convinced them 
that we're going to be okay. So don't worry that we need Zeb Nolan in a last second touchdown to beat Vanderbilt. We're going to be okay. We're going to (laughs) fight. I think it's absolutely remarkable how he's able to, but you're right. We Twitter loves the guy. Man, I was there four weeks ago, and I could not believe it. Uh, they thought they were going to win every – I mean, they – and, yeah, so I – by the way, I mean, I, I, I know it sounded like I was being critical of the AD. I wasn't. I was just simply saying that's what – I mean, he, I think he had a game plan, and, and it got blown up. And, you know, as of this moment in the season on uh, – in mid-October, it, it's, it's okay. Uh, whether You know, the only way you know is three years from now. Uh, has he turned the program or not? Uh, it, you know, it's a little bit – it, it, there's no way to know whether he has her. I mean, he's won a couple of games. Uh, I mean, he's beat Vanderbilt at the last second. He's beat uh, East Carolina at the last, last second. second and, yeah. and somebody else, which I don't remember, and I really don't even think it matters. But uh, but the fans still love him just as much. Look, I love Ray Tanner. I was there when Ray Tanner had a, had a dynasty on the baseball diamond, and then he went into the administration and became the athletics director. Um, I, I thought and this is completely going out of left field off of the season. I thought Hugh Freeze was going to get that job. I thought Hugh Freeze would be perfect for that job. I thought Hugh Freeze would be perfect for Tennessee. Um, it just, this coaching carousel. Um, and by the way, I, I'm promoting another uh, network, I says, so to speak, but the athletic has a great feature and, and Beamer's is prominent in it about what coaches do when they're moving and looking for homes and the whole prospect of, of the coaching carousel and how it affects where you live. It's, it's really fascinating because we're getting to the point of the season where week eight next week, that coaching names are always going to be a hot topic, be it right, wrong, or indifferent. But if you're not in the college football playoff conversation, college, you know, the conference championship conversation, your future is going to come up and we're at that point. All right. We are also at the point of the podcast where we get into victory formation here on a Sunday. Give me the one thing you can either button up week seven or forecast week eight. I want Paul Feinbaum's one first down thing that you're going to be keeping an eye on until the next time we speak. Well, I, I'm watching two things in short term, uh, Matt. I, I'm really interested in what the SEC does at Tennessee because, you know, it's just, it, you know, it, they find a couple of programs $250,000 for charging out on the field after a big win. What are they going to do about Tennessee? Because I think that's going to reverberate around college football because this will happen again and you have to come up with a deterrent. So I'm really intrigued by that. It, it's a copycat world and these, these students students don't care about a fine. They're not paying. So it will. It will be interesting. The one thing I'll be keeping an eye on. Cincinnati, because they are going to be the number two ranked team in the country because Iowa lost their schedule does not play out great. What I hope above all hopes that Cincinnati keeps getting those style points. Cincinnati keeps blowing people out because I want this to be the year where the committee says, you know what? Hell with it. Group of five you want in. Here's your shot. So I'll be watching Cincinnati because they've answered every challenge they've had thus far and they need to keep doing it. And I want Cincinnati if they get in, and I hope they do. They may not, though. I want them to be paired against Ohio State in the playoffs. Oh, don't tease me with a good story. (laughs) Because that would probably – here's what we would need to happen. We were trying to work through that yesterday. Uh, Georgia's going to be the one if all things go the way they have been. I would assume at that point Cincinnati would be the four, which could likely leave you – Oklahoma, Ohio State in the two three game. So we we need we need stuff to happen. But I'm Ohio State, Cincinnati would be so regional, but it would be so good. No, and, and we already had Georgia Cincinnati last year. I don't want to see that again. <laughs> Look, we if, if nothing else in this podcast, we're honest about which repeats we'd like to see and which ones we wouldn't. <laughs> uh, check out Organized Chaos, an ESPN podcast hosted by former NFL coach Rex Ryan and his former Jets and Ravens linebacker Bart Scott. The duo will be reunited in this weekly podcast with new episodes every Monday that will 
provide listeners with expert insight and analysis on everything happening around the league, featuring trending stories from on and off the field. That's Organized Chaos. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. And Paul, I find that Organized Chaos would have been perfect for you and I on Sunday. No, and and, and by the way, we appreciate all the, uh, the the compliments, the criticisms. We we appreciate you listening. Uh, we are not even awake when we're doing this. I mean, I'm barely awake. Poor Matt just got in from a, another Pac-12 after dark. So show mercy on the criminal. I was just uh, yeah, I was just putting on helmet stickers not too long ago. But here I am waiting for you guys to talk football. Paul, always a pleasure. Look forward to talking to you next week. Thank you, Matt.